Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. From the heart of the Carolinas, a breath of fresh air, a voice of reason, this is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. And good morning. Welcome to the broadcast. And we begin with apparently some breaking news out of Walterboro, South Carolina. As you know, we have the ongoing trial of Alex Murdaugh on trial in the blockbuster double murder trial. And it appears that Alex Murdaugh is going to testify. And this is against the advice of his lawyer. This is something that generally is not recommended in this kind of case. A person who's been watching this very closely from beginning to end and has a lot of people following him to do so. I'm talking about Matt Harris, who has been following this trial from the beginning. He's the morning co-host of the Matt and Ramona show on sister station Mix 107.9. Also producing a podcast that's very popular, The Impact of Influence, and a lot of people. Frankly, there have been millions of downloads of people following this story, the Murdoch family murders, and Matt is with us this morning. Uh, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Vince. Appreciate it. Oh, first off, uh, are we seeing correctly? Is Alex Murdoch actually going to take the stand here? Yes, he is. Uh, he stood in front of the judge today, uh, 9.30, 9.40, something like that, and talked about... Uh, well, they had to ask. They, the judge had to go through all these questions to make sure he was aware that he didn't have to do it and it would not be held against him and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, he is taking the stand. We've been hearing this rumblings for about two weeks now. The big question that the defense wanted to know is if they could keep out the financial crimes because Alec Murdoch has about 100 charges against him on financial crimes, which he has not been on trial for has not been convicted of any of those. So, you know, they're going to obviously use this testimony possibly against him whenever he does go face those charges. So the defense had asked, can we keep it? Can we keep that out of here? And a lot of people say just the fact that he's allowed it in, in this trial could be grounds for appeal because the prior bad acts as opposed to motive. So the only questions that the prosecution is supposed to ask when it comes to these financial crimes, but we'll see is anything based on motive. In other words, how up against the clock was Alec Murdoch? The, when the, were the financial crimes about to be exposed? Because that is their motive. If they're exposed, he has, to, he, he has to kill Maggie and Paul, according to the prosecution, to gain sympathy and delay being caught. So, uh, so anyway, he is going to testify. And I think the reason why is, is because all along... He told anybody who would listen from the very from the get-go that the, the night of the murders on June 7th, 2021, that he was not near the kennels during the time that Alec and Maggie were murdered. In fact, not even within hours of there at that time. Well, this video came out that Paul, his son who was murdered, had on his phone that Alec would not have been aware of, uh, of Paul at the kennels, videotaping or videoing a dog on his phone because the dog had an injury. He was sending the dog to his friend. And in the background, you hear Alec Murdoch's voice. This is damning, damning evidence. And so the only person that can explain why he was lying that whole time is Alec Murdoch. And if he can explain away why he lied about being there at 844, it goes a long way to acquittal. This seems like, uh, just from my perspective and all that has been presented thus far, and you've been following this uh, certainly more intensely with more detail than uh, many of us have, uh, this seems like uh, quite a challenge. Do you think this is driven by the idea that he really feels like he he's going to have to testify in order to, to save himself in this trial? you think th- this is an act of desperation? I think it is. I think... I think it's a, a act of desperation and any act of, uh, I guess, assuming that you are good at 
being charismatic and winning over a jury, which he has done hundreds of times in his life as a attorney for uh, work injury related accidents. He's been in front of juries. Everybody from the day one that we started this thing, which was just the day after the murders, has said that that's Alex Strong suit his people and how he can relate to them and how he talks to them and makes you feel like you're the only person in the room. I think if it wasn't for the 844 video on Paul's phone, he would not do it. But I think that is that is key to getting the acquittal. I, I certainly understand what you're saying here. It, it's kind of interesting here, and, and you just follow me a moment on this, because mm-hmm. it feels very much like, and, and I'm thinking, if I'm his lawyer, you've heard the expression, this is the challenge of representing somebody mm-hmm. who is a lawyer, uh, because there can be uh, a danger of overconfidence. This is what I've done before in the past. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is what the lawyer has been saying to him? Uh, you know, it's almost like representing yourself they tell you you know a lawyer representing himself has a fool for a client Uh, do you think this is really what his attorney's been saying to him hey you know you've done this before you've connected well with people do not assume that this is the same thing this is not your other trials this is a murder trial and this is not going to go over the same way well yeah i but i i think that it's very possible the attorneys are in agreement on this because that I'm telling you that video is huge, um, and they're confident that Ellick can hold his own in cross. I, I think it's going to be the question's going to be, hey, you've lied all along. Why do we believe you now? You lied about stealing money. You lied about where you were that night. You lied about what clothes you had on. You lied, 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 lied. Why, Alec Murdoch? Do we believe you now? When you've lied to your friends, you've lied to your family, you've lied to just about everybody, why should we believe you now on the stand? That is going to be the freedom question, if you, if you will. Uh, well, that, that could get Alec acquitted if he, can, if he can weave his way through those minefields. And that's the challenge that is before him. Uh, how soon are we actually going to hear this testimony? Very soon. Uh, let me look. They they said, the defense said, before they were going to bring him up, they had a short witness that was going to testify. That guy was on the stand a little after 10, one of Paul's friends. Uh, so he'll definitely be on before lunchtime. And I, I would guess, I'd have to, I'm going to, I can't, I'm punching live right now, but he'll be on before 11, I would think. Okay, okay. This is going to be very interesting testimony for sure, uh, and uh, we will endeavor to take that live as soon as it happens this morning. Matt Harris, we so appreciate you coming on the broadcast this morning, Thanks and uh, we'll look forward to talking with you again very soon, uh, maybe sooner than we think here about what is going on at this courthouse down in Walterboro, South Carolina. Uh, thanks a lot for joining thanks. us. I'll uh, be on with Pete day. later today at 2, I think, for those who want to see that. Impact of Influence is the podcast, and also on Court TV uh, just about every night, 8 to 9. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much. Matt Harris joining us. And as I mentioned, we're going to follow this this morning. And if there's an opportunity to take this live, we certainly will do so. It should be very interesting to see how this goes over. A lot of other news to cover during the course of the broadcast, the presidential campaign underway. I want to share really as a positive story, the possibility of someone getting into this presidential contest. I'm not endorsing anybody, but... I heard some things that I'm really glad someone is standing up to speak on, and it's the perfect person for this job. We'll talk about it as we continue the broadcast. Stay with us. And we continue with the Vince Coakley radio program on this Thursday. We started off with breaking news about what is taking place in Walterboro, South Carolina. The big development this morning, the fact that Alex Murdoch has been has been sworn in as a trial witness. So his testimony will happen sometime this morning. When that does happen, we're going to try to take that live. It'll be very interesting to not only hear the testimony, 
Well, the cross-examination is going to be quite intriguing to listen to. So we will stay tuned to see what happens there. If you'd like to join the conversation, the GS Plumbing Talk Line, 800-928-1110, 800-928-1110. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. I mentioned that I'm very encouraged by a development yesterday out in Iowa. Now, I want to make it very clear again, I'm not endorsing anybody. I will tell you it is way past time for someone especially, and and this really has to come, from a person who is black and conservative, liberty-minded, to deliver a message about one of the most dangerous things that's ailing this country. And one man who has not declared himself to be a presidential candidate, but seems likely to, really hit the nail on the head. Now, the audio we have here is not that great. This was a live feed, actually, on the Fox News channel. In fact, you'll hear the anchor interrupt on the second cut that I'll share with you. But this is right on the money. Now... I think there are two messages here. One of them is for the leftist message that has been circulating, especially in the black community, for decades. And it's very unfortunate because I think it's had very, very deadly effects. And I do mean literally deadly effects. But I also think those of us who call ourselves liberty-minded conservatives, libertarians, whatever... We need to do some self-examination because I think there's a sense in which some of us have bought into a different version of this message. But let me get straight to it here. And the first audio here is from none other than South Carolina Senator Tim Scott delivering a speech at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. And as you might expect... Since this speech yesterday, it's only ramped up speculation. This guy's about to declare himself a candidate for president. That's what's happening here. In this first clip, he addresses what would be described as political poison. Here's Senator Tim Scott. But belief is declining, and religious liberty is under assault. Too many Americans have lost faith in each other. Neighborhoods and families are drifting apart. And too many of us have lost faith in itself. Fentanyl isn't the only poison flooding our countries. Politicians in the culture are getting communities hooked, hooked on the drug of victimhood and the narcotic of despair. They are addictive and they are lethal. People see themselves as victims with no hope, no accountability, and no skin in the game. How did this happen? For two and a half centuries, for two and a half centuries, the rest of the world marveled, marveled at Americans' confidence and ambition what went wrong? That's the question. What went wrong? He really hit this on the head. So, in this next cut, he talks about the seeds of demise of our country that have been sown. Listen. Pretend... You are our nation's greatest enemy. You say, you say you wanted a, a blueprint to ruin America. What would you put in it? First, you would take aim at our patriotism. So you'd amplify attention seekers who say America is an evil country. Make it easy to get rich and famous by feeding the empty calories of anger 
to people who are starving for hope. A hundred years ago, children were taught the color of their skin defined them. If you wanted to ruin America, you'd bring that back. Okay. Isn't that powerful? This is how you ruin America. Bring back what? A, just a mindset of victimology, racial identity, empty calories of anger to people who need hope. Now, I want to make something very clear here. As I said, I'm not endorsing anybody, but I'm telling you what this is. If, 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 if his presence alone serves to advance this conversation in the country, this will be very valuable. Because we need to have it. Because I'm telling you also, within the so-called Republican circles, we need to do a lot of self-examination here. Because there's a lot of empty calories of anger getting served up in Republican circles. It's a business. It is. The business of outrage, anger. And frankly, in the past few years, I have seen this rival that of Democrats. When we previously thought they had a monopoly on this, now many Republicans have gotten in on the grievance game. And we need to stop. Shut off the valve. And when politicians come along and offer that, if that's all they've got to offer, no thanks. Remember our discussion yesterday about leaders? One of the most important things we can say to them sometimes is no. What do you think about this? I think this is a very important conversation. And it's time. And... It looks like Tim Scott may be the man who is able to address this issue like no one else has. What are your thoughts? Coming up, a local story about why this kind of hope is so, so necessary. We'll have an update on that train derailment and the aftermath. A visit from Donald Trump and a visit from Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> that and much more. As we continue our Thursday broadcast, stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. If you'd like to join the conversation, call Vince on the GS Plumbing Talk Line at 800-928-1110. That's 800-928-1110. Or text the Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line at 71307. Now, back to Vince. On the murder trial, we have this on the text line who suggests he's testifying against his attorney's wishes. That's bogus. He's a lawyer surrounded by lawyers. They do not do anything that has not been calculated. It'll be very interesting to observe not what he says, but how he says it. That is from Dean. Hmm. Biden bombed the Nord Stream pipeline and committed an act of war. Who cares about the Murdoch trial? Cover what matters, please, and lead us out of another wool-over-the-eyes moment in USA history. As for Tim Scott, though I like Tim Scott, he shows no skills necessary to run the U.S. He's not POTUS material at this time. This one I don't like. Well, let me just preface it by saying there is kind of an allegation here that I'm not going to include Tim Scott, black, conservative, will never be president. Forget about it. I left out the unsubstantiated, I would say, uh, mischaracterization. Anyway, to my comments, that's not true about Tim Scott. He totally played victim with saying he was pulled over several times while he's been senator in D.C. He's definitely played the victim when the George Floyd stuff was going on. I'm not sure that's an accurate characterization. I can tell you, and I've not experienced this myself, and this is where I want to be careful, because I have heard stories of people repeatedly pulled over 
just mindless situations. Now, for me, I'm just going to make this very clear. If it ever happens to me, and if it's something bogus and unfounded, I will raise holy hell. And I'm going to tell you, it's not just going to be something I'm going to post something on social media. I will go down to that police station, and I will go all the way up to the top if necessary. If there's any type of harassment that happens to anybody, myself or anybody in my family, I just want to make that very clear. It just ticks me off that I see these people, they complain about these stories. Well, I got drove, pulled over driving while black. You know, if there's some substantiated problem, don't let it go. If it's real. If you just want a story to circulate so you look like you've got street cred, I don't have time for that. And most people don't either. I think I may have mentioned the one time I was pulled up. There were two questionable pullovers. One of them was, interestingly enough, in Kentucky, where I was yesterday, uh, when I was a teenager. I got pulled over off the interstate, and the guy was just reaching for stuff. Now, if I were the person that I am now, that guy would be in fear for his job. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. Because it was lame. Everything, the whole basis for pulling me over, it's just lame. Then he just walked away. People do this stuff. And, and see, a lot of times, I don't know that this is necessarily even racial. Sometimes, I don't know. Maybe some of these guys don't have anything better to do. They're bored. But if you're professional, you know, driver's license, registration, hey, this is what I'm concerned about. I'm cool with that. But don't be reaching for stuff and trying to figure out, you know, throw up ideas. It's like, what in the world did you do this for in the first place? Anyway, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. This person says, I like Tim Scott. Smart, down to earth. What is Mr. Scott's Liberty score? I've always felt like he was sold out to the globalist wing of the party. I don't know where people get this from. I believe his Liberty score is like a 77. Kind of middle of the pack. C score. So, Tim Scott, we'll keep an eye on what he contributes to this process. Because I think it's very important, no matter where this goes. To his point about the concern of hopelessness and despair in so many communities. Did you hear what happened in Anderson County? Did you hear what happened? 14-year-old killed in a drive-by shooting. This 14-year-old was inside the home. This happened about 2.30 this morning. Willingham Road in Belton. Young Elijah Delbert Allen, sergeant. Dead with a gunshot wound. Inside the home, struck by a bullet, fired from outside the home. Drive-by incident. We don't know much more about this at this point. The carnage on our streets, especially affecting the black community. This is where this all emanates from. Hopelessness. I'm not here to defend anybody. I'm not making any excuses for anybody. I'm going to bet you. Well, let me just put it this way. Don't be surprised if this is another teenager. But there's got to be something to be a game changer in the black community especially. There's got to be hope. And what Tim Scott described is right on the money. Poison. Empty calories of anger. There's got to be something to counteract that. Because really, this is what all a lot of people are getting. That's it. What are your thoughts? Let's talk about East Palestine. Donald Trump paid a visit to the Ohio town near the site of that toxic train derailment. And threw out a few bombs yesterday. Clearly a um, 
Let's say a dual-purpose visit, wanting to show support to the people of East Palestine, but this is also clearly a political appearance. There's no question about that. We've got several pieces of audio. We're going to wait till after the break to get to this, but it's also entertaining that right about the time that Trump is going, Pete Buttigieg, yes, he paid a visit this morning. Isn't that just wonderful? He visited the site of the train derailment that spilled toxic chemicals into the into the environment. He was briefed by the Transportation Department's on-scene personnel. He's also meeting with emergency responders and members of the community. And getting an update from the NTSB into the actual accident. About 50 rail cars, 10 with toxic chemicals, derailed. This was February 3rd in this small town in the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. There was a controlled release of vinyl chloride from some of the cars three days later to avoid an explosion. It sent hydrogen chloride and phosgene into the air. People were asking the question, am I safe? Am I safe? We'll talk more about this and the former president's visit as we continue. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, and now we pick up with breaking news we told you about just a few minutes ago. We told you that Alex Murdoch was going to testify this morning. He is now on the stand, definitively, just a few minutes ago, made the declaration, I did not kill my wife and son. Now let's listen live to his testimony as he's just a couple of minutes in. Intentionally do anything to hurt either one of them. Ever. Ever. Did, did you continue lying after that night? Did you not? Well, once I lied, I continued to lie, yes, sir. Why? You know, oh, what a tangled web we weave. But once I told the lie, I mean, I told my family I, I had to keep lying. Alex, tell the jury what happened on the evening of June 7th, starting when you met up with Paul. <clears throat> I'd been at work that day. Uh, a fairly normal day. Um, you mean start in the morning or? Sure, start in the morning. Um, it was just a regular morning. Maggie was leaving to go out of town. Um, she was she was going to a doctor's appointment, and um, she had some stuff to do at Edista where she was. Uh, having some work done on our house at Edista. Um, so, but Maggie was there that morning. Uh, she went to leave, and, and she told me she was doing these things. Um, I always, always asked Maggie to come back home and stay with me. Um, but anyway, Maggie had left. She did her thing. Um, I went to work, did work. I learned from Paul Paul that Who's Paul Paul? That's Paul, my son Paul Paul. My son Paul murdered. And, and, um, and your name for him was Paul Paul? Yeah, we, I mean we called him Paul Paul. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. And um, I mean Buster, Maggie, I, I, pretty, I called him Paul Paul or Paul Terry, um, but Mags called him Paul Paul, Buster called him Paul Paul. Um, a lot of people called him Papa, <clears throat> but anyway, I learned about the. I had known that CB, the guy that worked for us, had sprayed the sunflowers. I I, I knew about that, but I, I'd been out of town. 
Um, I didn't know they were dead. Paul let me know they had died. So we had to replant the dove field. That, that's how the dove field, which the, the, the dove field is just a big, big social part of, 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 of having property. People would come and it's just a social big part of it. So the dove field was a big deal. So when, when the sunflowers got killed, Paul was, we knew they were dead. Paul was coming home. And I learned that early Monday morning. And did um, and we'll we'll catch back up. But at some point in time, did you meet up with Paul? Yeah. After work, I met Paul Paul at the at the property. And and I and we're going to back Phil and talk about more of the day. But I just want to focus in on that evening right now. Okay. When Paul gets to the property, what do y'all do? First thing we do is we go to the Dove Field and, and we and we look at the Dove Field and. Um, How'd you get to the Dove Field? Uh, he had come in uh, my brother's truck. We got in my son Buster's black pickup truck. We called it Buster's truck or the black pickup truck. You've heard it called too, but I I call it Buster's truck. Okay, so you're in Buster's truck and you and you go to the Dove Field. Tell, tell the jury what else. Well, that's the first thing we do. We we go to the Dove Field and we look, and it was clearly. It, it, it didn't. You could tell they were. I mean, you could tell they'd been sprayed, and you could tell they were dead. Uh, I mean, they might have still had a tiny bit of life, but they were dead. So we knew that. So we knew we had to replant the whole field. Um, so that didn't take but a second. Um, but after that, Paul, Paul, We just rode the property. We spent time together. We, we, just, we rode around and we spent time together on the property. Did you go to the duck pond? Oh yeah, we went. Uh, we went to several food plots. We went to um, Single Oak Stand. We called it, which is across the road. Um, You're listening to live testimony from Alex Murdoch, who's testifying his own defense, the murder trial of um, the crimes he's alleged to have committed, killing his son and his wife. This testimony, of course, will continue. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to turn around any pertinent things that he brings up uh, here in the next few minutes. Our coverage continues right here on this broadcast. Stay with us. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. From the heart of the Carolinas. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The fresh air, a voice of reason. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Hour number two of our broadcast. We start off with breaking news. Alec Murdoch testifying. He was sworn in this morning, and he continues testimony right now in Walterboro, South Carolina. Now, I want to set the table for you as to what is taking place right now, the last few minutes. He's basically been describing the day of the murders and the day he spent with his son, Paul. And... I think a lot of what they're attempting to do now is for him to clearly communicate his love, his affection, the close relationship that he had with his son. And, of course, from that, the hope and expectation, the jurors would conclude that there would be no reason in the world that Alec would want to kill his son. I think that's what the effort is in this testimony this morning. Let's listen to a little bit more of the testimony. Alec Murdoch, who is now testifying in his own defense. Walterboro, South Carolina. Listen in. He couldn't be any closer than Paul Paul and I and Buster and I were in awe. He's just a wonderful, wonderful. And it's one of the things you enjoy doing together with just riding the property? I love doing anything with Paul Paul. 
It was an absolute delight. But yeah, one of the things, I mean, Paul's passion. I mean, Paul was passionate about a lot of things, but that property was really a passion of his. I mean, he loved to do, he loved to work it. He loved to work the fields. He loved to work the food plots. He loved to hunt. I mean, he, he'd work on the roads. I mean, he would, he would work on all of it. I mean, he would work on the structure. I mean, he, would, he, he worked on the whole property. It was, it was his passion. So on the evening of the seventh, I mean, I'm sure he's been in, inundated with data from various different sources, but sure. just, just ballpark. Can you, knowing, you know what we know now after reviewing everything, but roughly when do you remember Paul getting there and you getting there and starting to ride the property? Uh, now that I've had the benefit of of, of seeing all of these records. Um, Papa got home, I, I believe, a little bit before seven o'clock, okay. and I got home a little bit before him. I think the details had been that I got home around six forty-two or six forty-five or something like that, and Paul got there, you know, very quickly thereafter. And then by seven o'clock. So you rode the property for a while. Um, do you remember uh, when Maggie arrived? Yeah, it was. It was later than that. It was eight or after eight. I think it was after eight and looking at the records. A little bit after eight. And and do you remember um do you remember her arriving or where you were when she arrived? I believe that I was at the shop when when she came through. Which would not be unusual for her having been away. Uh, if Blanca had gotten the mail or somebody had gotten the mail, maybe not. But if somebody had not gotten the mail, it would be perfectly normal for her to pull through there. And I believe she did pull through there that day. And, and Paul and I were at the shop, I believe. And then what, what did you do after Maggie arrived? Maggie went to the house, and I know that. Um, but shortly after, however I learned that Maggie got home, I went to the house when, when Maggie got home. And I left Paul at the shop. So, uh, and what did you do when you got to the house? I saw Mags, talked to Mags, um, and I took a shower. Um, the, the clothes that we saw in that Snapchat video was, uh, was that the clothes you had on, on, at work that day? Yes, that, those are the clothes I had on at work that day. And the, and the jury's seen you in, um, in those clothes, and, and what's, on, on June 7th, how tall were you and how much did you weigh? Um, on June 7th, well, I'm, I'm six, a little, I'm a hair over 6'4", right at 6'4". On June the 7th, I was about 265 pounds, 264, 265. And, um, and this was in June, June 7th? Yes, sir. When you're outside, riding around and doing some... Do you get hot and sweaty? Absolutely. I mean, Paul and I had done some things. We 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 unloaded the bulldozer, cleaned the bulldozer, we fooled around. Yeah, I mean, I sweated. I was, you know, I was heavy, and uh, taking prescription pills also makes you sweat worse, or at least taking oxycodone makes you sweat more than you normally do. So, was it unusual for you to take a shower when you got back to the house? Not at all. And that, when you, after you took a shower, what did you change into? I changed into the clothes that you've seen in this trial. Shorts and the shirt. Okay. When you got out of the shower um, and changed clothes, what did you do next? I went back out where Mags and Pawpaw were and, uh, and what were for they dinner. Doing? What was uh, going on? Mags had, as you've heard, Blanca had prepared dinner, but uh, it had been cooked earlier. Mags had fixed, she, I know Mags had fixed mine and her plate because I didn't fix a plate. She may have fixed Pawpaw. Pawpaw was eating and Pawpaw was almost done eating by the time I got back out, which also wasn't unusual 
I mean, Papa was always on the go. I mean, he, he never sat still. And, you know, he'd sit down to eat, but then he's going on to his next item. And uh, So then Maggie and I ate. And do y'all eat at the table? Do you eat at the den? What, what's your normal habit? Uh, we would do both, but, I mean, when we ate at the table, it was really sort of more formal or, or, or not formal, but just more of an organized thing. Our normal, what we would normally do on a regular evening is we would eat in the den in front of the TV. And that's where we ate that day. I, I ate on the couch, the table. Maggie had a little um, uh, a TV tray that she kept over there. And, and, and Papa would usually sit in a recliner and, and eat off of the ottoman. And was the TV on? Yes. Was that normal for the TV to be on? Yes. TV, if, if we were in the house, TV was on. So what, what happened next, Alan? Uh, Papa moved on doing whatever he was doing. I, I don't know if he was in the gun room doing something or he was in his room doing something. He was outside doing something. I actually thought he'd gone to the shed, but in looking at to the shop, but in looking at the the, the benefit of having these records um, that we have, I know he was still at the house or somewhere around the house doing something. But he wasn't in there with Maggie and I. Um, but uh, Maggie wanted to go to the kennels, and uh, I had eaten dinner. I laid back on the couch where I was sitting. Uh, Maggie wanted to go to the kennels, and she asked me to go. And, and You're listening to live testimony from Alec Murdoch, who is testifying in his own defense, working their way through the day that he is accused of killing his son and his wife. Our broadcast will continue right here. Stay with us. <laughs> Back on the Vince Coakley Radio Program following a couple of breaking news stories for you. We first have this one. Some fresh information from the NTSB. Their report on the Ohio train derailment. And now we're learning a little bit more about the cause. The derailment of that train carrying dangerous chemicals in Ohio, according to NBC, can be traced to an overheating wheel bearing that was 253 degrees hotter than ambient temperatures. This preliminary report from the NTSB offered initial clues about what likely caused this 150-car Norfolk Southern Railway train to crash in East Palestine back on February 3rd, just west of Pennsylvania, the state line there. A hot bearing detector built into the railway transmitted an alarm message to the crew after the train's 23rd car, the first to derail, recorded the suspect's bearing temperature at 253 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient. The detector before that recorded a temperature of 103 above ambient. So it was rising. Anything 170 to 200 degrees requires a stop. The engineers stopped the train, and after that, the crew observed fire and smoke, notified the Cleveland East dispatcher of a possible derailment. And with dispatcher authorization, the crew applied handbrakes to the two rail, rail cars at the head of the train, uncoupled the head-end locomotives, and they moved the locomotives about a mile from the uncoupled rail cars. And as you know, the train carried dangerous chemicals since that time. The small town of East Palestine, Ohio, has been gripped by fear and anxiety, understandably so. This train carried a total of 115,580 gallons of vinyl chloride, highly flammable. It's a carcinogen used to produce chloride for packaging materials and other products. So that's more from the NTSB, again, overheated wheel bearing. 253 degrees hotter than ambient temperatures. That's what started this chain of events that has been a nightmare for the folks of East Palestine, Ohio. The other breaking news story you're following out of Walterboro, South Carolina, the trial 
of one Alec Murdoch, who is still on the stand testifying about that day that he is accused of killing his wife and his son. Let's listen to that continued testimony. Anything disturbs them. It could be a person. It could be somebody driving up, whatever. They're going to make a lot of racket. So um, Grady's chasing the guineas. Um, you know, Paul's fooling with um, Rogan's dog, Cash. Um, Maggie's just kind of standing there watching the dogs, which is normal. And, and they were in that place as... As the dogs are out longer, they branch out more. Um, but at that point in time, they were they were right there. So that told me they hadn't been out um, a long time. Bubba, Bubba catches a chicken. Um, I'm talking to Maggie for just you know a short time before Bubba catches a chicken. I take the chicken. I put it when Bubba Bubba didn't chase these dogs didn't chase the chickens to kill them and they didn't normally kill them they did kill them sometimes but it was about the chase with those dogs and 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 they were proud when they caught one you could just tell by the way Bubba would prance to you when he brought chicken to you he was proud that he had caught it but he wasn't trying to kill it and so most times the chicken wasn't dead and that chicken wasn't dead um, but a lot of times they would be stunned and they would be just real lethargic. So you had to take the chicken and you had to put it up somewhere where, you know, the chicken could be by itself for a minute and and it would eventually, usually, you know, come back to normal and going about its, you know, whatever chicken does. Did, did you get the chicken out of Bubba's mouth? I did. I took the chicken from Bubba and I put it... Um, on, on top of that, now, now we've seen you know this video of Paul um, with Cash Rogan's dog. Did you know? Did you know that was going on? What, what do you remember about that? About yeah, I knew Paul was. I knew Paul was fooling with. Um, when I pulled up on the golf cart, Maggie was standing back, sort of where the driveway would be. Um, it, it sort of runs out at the feed room, um, the storage rooms, what we call it, it's been called the feed room. Um, but it sort of ran out. Maggie was a little bit further up where she could see back in that angle where the dogs were. Paul was fooling with um, Rogan's dog back towards the kennel. If I remember when I first got there, Paul was more in the driveway, but then I knew Paul was in the kennel fooling with cash, yes. But did I know what he was doing? I didn't know exactly what he was doing, no. Did um, you... I knew he was fooling with his... I knew he was fooling with his tail. Well, was, was cash in the kennel when, when you pulled up, you think? Not when I first got there. Okay. Um, did Bubba or Grady have any uh, collars on? Yes. Which, both dogs, one dog, do you remember? I don't know about Grady, but I know Bubba had on his what we call a tracking collar. Paul, for his hunting dogs. Um, and we continue with testimony. This is Alec Murdoch, who's testifying in his own defense. This is in the double murder trial. And we're going to step away for a bit here. As you know, these trials can be very, very meticulous. Going down into detail, of course, as I told you before, a lot of this is to establish connection, relationship, normalcy, as Mr. Murdoch is engaging his family members the day of the murders that he's accused of committing. So this is uh, very painstaking <laughs> listening to this testimony. I, I, I don't know about you. But I'm sitting there thinking, okay, can we get to the important part? Where were you at the time of these crimes? Where were you and what were you doing? That's all I care to know about. But the defense, this is their particular portion of the trial where they have the opportunity to put on their case. And they're trying to make the case that... Uh, in the statement, encapsulated by the statement that Murdoch made earlier, I did not kill my wife and son, very emphatically. 
Um, let's go back to a little more of this as we uh, come up to a hard break. We'll hear how far they get and how close they get to the events of that evening. Listen up. What did you do after you got the chicken out of Bubba's mouth? I got out of there. I, 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 I left. I went back to the house. All right. Well, look, before we do that, um, we've seen the dog kennel video with Cash and, and Mr. Davis. And we slowed it down for him. Do you, do you see the water hose in that video on the ground? Do you remember seeing that? Uh, yes, I did. Was the water hose out? And Still uh, testimony continuing um, in Walterboro, in video, South Carolina. Can, and uh, we'll continue with this to follow this. And hopefully we'll get to the uh, most pertinent details of this case. Uh, the reason Alec Murtaugh is indeed on trial right now. Uh, that much more as we continue our Thursday broadcast. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. is the Vince Coakley radio program. If you'd like to join the conversation, call Vince on the GS Plumbing talk line at 800-928-1110. That's 800-928-1110. Or text the Common Sense Retirement Planning text line at 71307. Now back to Vince. And back on the Vince Coakley radio program, we are following the double murder trial of Alec Murdoch, who is now testifying. He has basically been describing the events of that day, starting off talking about time he spent with his son Paul at one of the properties, and then describing uh, essentially going back home and having dinner. Uh, now he is describing the time he spent going over to his mother's place, and if I remember correctly, in the testimony that has been offered thus far, the evidence that has been pre presented, that is where he claims to have been when these murders occurred at his mother's house. So that's where we pick up the ongoing testimony from Alec Murdoch, who is testifying right now in his double murder trial. Let's keep listening. Right. Um, the... Um Let me skip something. Um, was Maggie planning to go over to your mother's with you that night? No, she wasn't planning to go with me that night. Okay. No, in fact, Maggie didn't really like to visit my mom. Um, it was... She loved to visit my dad. And, and she loved to spend time with my dad. And she spent a lot of time with my mom when my mom was healthy. But, you know, I mean, by this point, my mom, and she was a shell. And she was a shell of her old self. And okay. I mean, it was kind of, I mean, it was kind of sad to go and visit her anytime. I mean, she she just, she wasn't healthy. And, and Maggie didn't like to go and just visit my mom. When when you when you left Moselle to head, head to Almeida um, the evening after you'd gone back to the house at Moselle, what, say that again, Jim? What, what exit did you use of the Moselle property when you're going to Almeida on the evening of June 7th? I went out the main gates, which would be straight ahead. The um, you've heard of the two gates. There's the there's the shop entrance. Um, there's actually several entrances, but the main ones we used. There was an entrance by the Dove Field. There was an entrance further down by Sawtooth Oaks. But the main ones we used were the shop entrance and what we call the main entrance, where the brick gates were. 
Did, did you go? Why, why didn't you go by the kennels on your way out? There, there wasn't a reason to go by the kennels at that point, and I was going to Almeda, which that the, the main gate would be the, the gates that were closer. Did you notify Maggie uh, in some form that you were leaving to go to uh, see your mom? I tried to call her. And and did she answer? No. And what did you do after that? I think I tried to call her again. And did she answer? No, she didn't answer. And at some point I texted her after that. Well, the fact that she didn't answer on two times, um, did that concern you? At that time? Right. It didn't concern me at all. Number one, she was with Pawpaw. So, no. I mean, number two, I mean, it's, it's not unusual to not be able to get somebody all the time when they're at the house or they're on the property. I mean, you've heard all the testimony about how spotty cell service was. So, no, at the time, it didn't strike me as anything unusual. Okay. Now, moving back to Al Almeida, you spent time with your mother, and then, then you left to head, head back to Moselle. Is that correct? That's correct. Did you, drive, did you drive straight back to Moselle? I did. Now, Alec, there's some um, information from the telemetry data off your Suburban and perhaps some of this OnStar G GPS data that indicates that at some point in time in your mother's driveway, you stopped for about a minute. Do you recall seeing that data? I do. What were you doing when you stopped? Do I you was recall? Getting I was getting my phone that uh, I, I my phone had gotten there's a console in the middle of my car and my phone had gotten down in the console between the console and the seat where you couldn't get to it okay. were you during that minute or however long it was were you disposing of murder weapons Alan no were you disposing of bloody clothes no. And your your ride back to uh, Moselle was it? Uh, were you driving faster than normal? Normal. I was driving, however I drive, normal way that I drive. Okay. When you got back to the Moselle property, how did you enter the property? What entrance did you use? Came right back through the main gate. And what did you do then? Went straight to the house. And when you got to the house, what did you do? I went inside. Were lights on when you pulled up? Or? Lights were on in the house for sure. I can't remember if there were floodlights on or not. I, I, I don't believe there were any floodlights on, but there were definitely lights. All, all, the, the, all the lights in the house were on, yes. And when you... Um, how long did you stay inside the house, roughly? Uh, now that I've seen the benefit of, of these records, I was in there several minutes. Obviously, I mean, were you surprised that Paul and Maggie had not made it back to the house? You know, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but, I mean, I, I would have, I, I thought they would have been back by then. Right. You know, but, I mean, did it cause me to go into any, it wasn't like I was shocked. But, I mean, I thought they would be there. I mean, I, I distinctly remember... Uh, uh, you know, I went and looked. Sometimes I was very hot-natured. Number one, I was hot. Again, I was heavy, and I was taking pills. So I, I was always hot. Murdoch, who is testifying in his own defense, 
And we're getting right to the core of the uh, pertinent questions now about what happened the night that his wife and his son were murdered. We'll continue our broadcast right here. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, and if you thought the testimony was rather dry up till now, well, it's definitely taken a turn as Alec Murdoch has broken down on the witness stand as he's testifying his own defense in the double murder trial. Uh, let's listen in to what's happening right now. Were you were you able to turn, Paul, at all? I mean, I I, I did it. I don't know if I was able to. I didn't turn him over, no. 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 What, what side of the, um, what side of Paul were you when you were doing this? I was on, um, I was on the side that was away from, I was on the side that was away from where my car was. Okay. I mean, I, What'd you do with the phone? I put it back on Papa. <laughs> you know if you put it you know which way it was pointing upside down, downside anyway. I couldn't tell you anything about it. I know his phone popped out, I picked it up and I put it back on him. Did you see any messages on Paul's phone? No. Did you go to Maggie? Did. Did you touch her? I did. Where where did you touch Maggie? I think I touched her down. Just around like I don't know. I don't know. If you if you ask me exactly, I I think I touched her down around her waist, but I don't know. It was so bad. Excuse me. I, mean, um, I know I went back and forth. I mean, I went back and forth between them. I know. I know I did. I'd, I'd like to play Doug. Um, uh, the Colleton County portion of the 911 call, the which is in evidence as Defendant's Exhibit Number Nine, and and Doug, this is the long version, the the, the first clip, and stop it when I say stop it, please. 2021, 22 hours, seven minutes, nine seconds. I'm still here, okay? Connor County Communications. President, I have an Alex Murdoch on the line calling from 4147 Moselle Road. He's advising that his wife and child was shot. Okay, and so give me the address again. It's 4147 Moselle Road. I've been up to it now. It's bad. Okay. How do they shoot? Alan, when you, when you say I've been up to it now and it's bad, what are you referring to? I'm talking about... What I saw was what y'all saw pictures of, and I mean, it was bad. It was terrible. And and when I first got there, um, I know I got out of the car. Um, and I mean, I know I I got out of the car. I mean, I knew. 
got out of the car, but right at first, I don't, I don't, I didn't go. I don't think I'm. I went all the way to them. I think I ran back and 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 that's when I called nine one one. And so I called nine one one. And while I was doing that, then is when I went to Maggie, and I went to Paul. And so that's what I think I'm talking about. Okay. Thank you. Keep going, please. this testimony at a very, very critical point. Of course, there'll be coverage on both these stations throughout the day. The Alec Murdoch murder trial, accused of killing his wife and his son. That coverage continues uh, throughout the day. And we'll be back right here on the Vince Coakley radio program. Have yourselves a great day and God bless you. This is the Vince Coakley radio program.